I've got two planks strapped to my feet. I'm not really sure of the exact temperature, but judging by the rigidity of my beard at this point, I'm sure it's somewhere around freezing. I've got my jacket zipped up tight, and while I was smart enough to buy a helmet, I'm starting to regret not investing in knee pads, elbow pads, and frankly just a giant bubble to put around me as I go down this mountain. If I make one wrong turn here or have a little bit of an unexpected bump there, it could result in a pretty painful emergency room trip. This was my first experience skiing after moving and opening Profitwell's West Coast office in Utah, and I was definitely regretting not investing in lessons. Eventually, I got those lessons and stuck to the bunny hills, at least for now. I'm new, don't make fun of me. And fortunately, it's not like next season I'm going to have to relearn everything or skiing last season will somehow have become obsolete. The rest of the world isn't like that, though, especially in technology. Certain skills require consistent education, and it doesn't help that the skills gap is ever broadening. According to the GE Global Innovation Barometer of 2018, three in four global executives believe that a lack of skills is an issue facing their industry. 64% said that this is a problem that's restricting their ability to innovate. Fortunately, this is a problem that Heather Zinzak, a Silicon Slopes resident here in Utah, knows about all too well. From the beginning of her career to where she is now as the CMO of Pluralsight, she has helped cultivate a learner's mindset in order to keep her education and the education of millions above the pace of innovation. More on that coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those in the trenches actually doing the work. On today's episode, Heather Zinzak shares her breadth of knowledge, telling us about how she built a career out of problem solving, the skills gap that is holding us back and how we can combat it, developing and nurturing a learner's mindset, as well as a glimpse into the growth of Utah's Silicon Slopes. When did the transition from dev to marketing, when did that start uh, so this is kind of a funny story. So my uh, at Accenture, you get to meet once a year with your partner advisor. It's a super senior person at the firm, and they take like 15 minutes, and they're you know watching their watch. And so I go in and I ask the guy because I I'm like I, I last year I saw how this went. I got I only got 15 minutes. I'm asking my questions. So I come in and I I said you know I really want to be in Anderson Strategic Services. I instead of deploying the software and creating the software, I want to be part of the group that decides they need the software. And he sat back and he looks at his watch and he says you know. What I should tell you is work really hard and work your way over, but the best thing to do is quit and get your MBA, and then you'll, they'll hire you. And so that's what I did. I never went back to Anderson Strategic Services, but that kind of moving from uh, a developer into an MBA, then I moved on after that to on the business side. And I ended up in more in product management positions before I moved to marketing. So obviously you guys sell learning or sell that, that, that education to people. Is this influenced by your, like, your data background? Like particularly, I mean, you worked at Domo, which is a data business intelligence company. Has that influenced your like, hey, I want to understand and I want to fix this or I want to look at that? Like, tell me a little bit about that. So my favorite part of our product is all the analytics, to be honest with you, because you can go in and see like, yes, you can see what people are doing. So one thing is we look at what, we can actually know what the next big trends are in tech because we can go and see what people are learning on, what they're searching on. So there's a bunch of analysis around that, but I love the analysis around 
how many individuals uh, are skilled up on this? Where do they fall in their journey? How many do we still have to skill up? It's very, it's a very analytical mindset to learning. And I think, you know, if you look at the way we've done learning in the past, you get a degree, you put it on the wall, or you get a certificate, but nobody has any idea if you're actually really good at something. And, and with our assessments at Pluralsight, you know, like, hey, this person has an expert score um, on Angular. You know they're a good Angular developer. In fact, one customer that we have, they've cut their recruiting time almost in half because they're having people take assessments as part of the recruiting process. Just to kind of like pivot a little bit, when you were growing up, is this what you wanted to do? Like, how did, how did you get from, so you're smack dab in the middle of nowhere in Central Texas, now you're a CMO of Pluralsight. Um, like, bridge the gap. How did we get here? You know, I, I think in college, I got really excited about business problems and how to solve business problems. And then my first job out of a college was, a, I was a developer building, this is back in the early 90s, I'm dating myself now, but building, using technology to help companies solve business problems. So I've always been somebody, I mean, I could take you through my whole history, I won't. <laughs> it's digital tape, so it's fine. You yeah. cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but every, almost every uh, role I've taken, there was a really exciting challenge or problem that I was interested in solving. Like, I'm a problem solver. Like, I, I love riddles, and we do a lot of math stuff in our house, and it's just, um, you know, crossword puzzles. So I've always been somebody that wants to solve challenges, and I really love solving business challenges. And what I love about Pluralsight is I really think one of the biggest challenges for us as a society over the next decade at least is this skills gap and how do we solve this at a global level it's going to be the thing that holds us back what do you think happens if we don't solve it you know, I think you can look at, um, not to get political, but you can look at recent elections in the U.S., for example. There are massive, regardless of whether you lean right or you lean left, there are massive communities that are underserved and hurting because they don't have jobs. You can look at the Rust Belt, which flipped from one party to the other, and it's because they don't have the skills they need. And I think if we don't solve this problem um, as a globe, it's, 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 it has potential to be damaging to so many individuals and just progress in general. Why has there been this movement with skills? Because it's, it's not just you. I mean, I feel like you guys are, I don't know if you call it premium. You're, you're in a very like, specific part of the market, but then you have Linda, you have Udemy, you have, there's so many different like course products. Mm -hmm. Like where has this kind of movement come from when it comes to like skills and things like that? So I think Pluralsight's uniquely positioned. There's a ton of players in the market focusing on skills in general. But you know, if you look at like um, LinkedIn Learning, which formerly Linda, it might be photography skills, it might be cooking skills, all really great skills, but we focus really hardcore on tech. So we're 100% about tech skills. And we're also for people that are um, already in their careers. So we're not looking to teach people for the very first time out of high school how to, you know, we do have an intro to JavaScript course, but our, most of our 80 some odd percent of our users have a couple years of experience and they really want to refine their craft. So you have other players in the market, some of the ones you mentioned, who are really looking for like, hey, I'm a job changer. I really want to understand more about this technology stuff. We're more for the skilled practitioner that wants to enhance their craft. But there's a, a ton of push towards increasing skills, and I think, um, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, that was I think the root of your question. If you look today at just the landscape of every company, 
The majority of the Fortune 500 in the last 40 years have disappeared off the Fortune 500 list. And the reason why is because they're not innovating. They were disrupted. And, you know, what is the driving force that's done that? It's been technology. I mean, think about, you know, the transportation space with Uber and Lyft. Think about the hotel industry with Airbnb. I mean, everybody could come up, you know, Netflix. I mean, you could come up with a gajillion examples of how technology massively is disrupting a space. So those companies that get technology are the ones winning, they're the ones thriving, they're the ones innovating. So the biggest barrier for them is the skills to innovate. We have a massive skills gap right now. Talk to any dev leader or IT leader, they have trouble hiring. So in addition to hiring, you need to really upgrade your team. You need to invest in the people already at your company. You need to give them the skills they need. And even if you hired, even if your company had like, you know, the best snacks, the best lunches, the best perks, and you got every single amazing um, engineering grad out of Stanford and MIT and et cetera, in two years, their skills are obsolete because tech is changing so fast. So you have to upgrade even if you get the cream of the crop. You have to invest in them so they continue on the path. I come from a union background in Wisconsin. So basically, I, I've heard about the skills gap for so long. <laughs> It's kind of scary too, like if you just look at the pace of different economies like China and things like that, not that it's a zero sum game, but in some cases, you know, it can sometimes be. When you look at a, I got to meet briefly J.D. Vance, which I don't know if you've read his book, Hillbillyology, which I loved, it was my favorite book of last year. He and um, the founder of AOL, uh, Steve Case. J.D. Vance and Steve Case have started um, a new venture that's really going out and investing um, everywhere else. Rise of the rest. Rise of the rest. Rise yes. of the rest. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah and yeah, so yeah. it's, you know, they're saying, look, there's other underserved markets, and I think the skills gap is going to be significant for them. And I would say to them, like, you're going to invest in these areas, and you, do you have the skills needed in those areas to really grow uh, the way those companies need to? I think it's going to be the biggest challenge. Well, it's super hard, too, because I, I mean, I went to school in Peoria, Illinois. I'm from North Milwaukee. Milwaukee, both locations, like really good people, really smart people, but there isn't a lot of the education around like great computer science programs or things like that. Now, now they're getting there, but it's being largely driven by like boot camps and not everyone has time for boot camps and things like that, which is interesting. Well, that's why I think technology is helping with this, being able to take classes online and being able to do, you know, we have about 25% of our business at Pluralsight is people who are individuals. They swipe their own credit card because they want to advance. And those are the people that I think, there are options that you can do it at night, you can do it on the weekends while you're working your other job. Like you, you can upskill yourself. There's skills gap, not just in technology, there's like welders. Like we need like 400,000 welders right now in the country. Is this because of just the speed of like innovation where basically it's causing, you know, new stuff to come and then all of a sudden there's innovation on how to do things? Like, is that just the speed of the market that's causing this, you think? I think so. I mean, I think innovation because of technology is happening at a faster rate than we've ever seen. You know, like I look at my, I have kids ages seven to 11 and, you know, things that were very new to me in my life, they've never even heard of before because it's so obsolete. I mean, just think how fast phones have changed. 
you know, from, you know, I used to have the cord and kitchen phone that would wrap around me because I walked around the kitchen to my kid was really upset the other day because his phone doesn't stream fast enough, you know, for because he watches all his videos on it. So, you know, I mean, I just think innovation is happening so quickly. And it's interesting if you think about the Pluralsight story, our founder, Aaron Sconard, he was a developer and he wrote a book. And so they people would fly him around to teach a course on the book. And he finally said, this just doesn't keep up. Like, I can't fly all over the world and teach people things. I need to use technology to solve the problem that we're having with tech skills. So that's why he put everything online. When you think about teaching anything, like the way that you teach it is so important, right? And I know you guys are insanely focused on how you actually produce the content. Do you, like, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how do you best create a course? Let's say you're gonna give me like something advanced on the new AWS something or another, right? Like, how do you guys design that so that it's, it is the quality that it is that I, I know a lot of people expect from Pluralsight? I'll touch on two things. One, who's teaching the course? So one thing that I think makes Pluralsight unique or why people come and want to learn from us is we don't source hardly any of our content. We use the world's best experts. So if you want to learn how to develop on Salesforce, for example, you would want to learn from the guy who runs the largest Salesforce deployment at Google, for example. His name is David Liu, and he teaches courses on our platform on Salesforce. If you want to learn about security, Troy Hunt is being flown over from Australia to testify in front of the U.S. Congress because he's such a global renowned authority on security. You want to learn from Troy Hunt. So first, you want to learn from the experts, and that's the great thing about you know, technology and the internet, honestly, is you can have those experts into your computer, into wherever you want to learn. So I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just how people learn. Some people like, like long form, they like to sit, they like to watch a course. Some people want to be tested along the way to see if they're absorbing. Some people want to do project-based work. They, they really learn by doing. Um, other people, uh, you know, they call it jits and bits. They want to do it in really short time. So it's, it's little short content for the problem they're facing at that point in time. And we've really crafted the Pluralsight solution to cater to whatever your learning style is. That focus or that kind of rigor and discipline around how you structure and having that flexibility, has that separated you from the rest of the market? Like, has that been a competitive advantage or, or is it something where, you know, you don't really think about some of those competitive aspects? I, the answer is yes, but I think it's bigger than that. So um, our head of product that you know, um, Nate Walkingshaw, he and um, a couple of, he invented basically direct to discovery, which is this process that works with the end customer to actually make decisions and prioritize what we build in the product, what content we deliver, how we deliver the content. And so our users have really driven the product direction. And as a result, we have an NPS, um, a net promoter score of 65, which is pretty much unheard of. I've never worked at a company that's even anywhere close to that. Like Apple is the gold standard at 70. And it's because we've developed the product for the users. So they wanted different learning styles. We gave them different learning styles. They want you know, content on XYZ. We give content on XYZ. I think it's that customer interaction and that customer-led product that's been our competitive advantage. Is this whole kind of focus on skills, has this helped you be a better marketer? You've had some legit experience, right? <laughs> you know, you've had two companies go public that you've been heavily involved in, in the past couple of years. Uh, you know, you obviously have more experience beyond that, but like what's, like has that helped you? I think both. Um, I think there's two things for that. One is hiring people that really have a learner's mindset. I've always tried to do that. 
And now with Pluralsight, it's our mission of the company to really advance people's skills and learning. So I feel like I found my people, like being there. So think about marketing and the evolution it's going through. It's massively changing due to technology and digital skills. And so in addition to trying to hire those people, you want to encourage those people or encourage the people on your team to create new skills, to have a learner mindset. Um, and I'll, I'll give an example. There's um, a woman who worked on the marketing team. She was an executive assistant for a senior exec, and she really wanted to become a developer. So she took courses, and now she's, two years later, our best Adobe AEM developer, which in our market, AEM developers are really hard to find. And she's amazing. And it's because we have this learner mindset. So it's helped me as a marketer really invest in my team, grow my team, be a better marketing department. So it's really helped for that reason. And then I think the second thing is it's awesome to be at a company where I feel like we're changing the world. And I know everybody, you know, everyone's changing the world. Everyone's changing the world. But I think you guys are. But yeah. I think, you know, if you think about some of the challenges we're facing right now in tech with diversity, for example, let's just pick that as an example. Everyone talks about how it's a pipeline problem. You know, we don't have enough women or people of color or other diverse backgrounds uh, that have the skills needed. Pluralsight is really actively changing that daily. We're in 150 countries, so people around the globe, regardless of socioeconomic background, are using our product to learn tech skills. We've launched Pluralsight One, which is an organization that partners with a ton of groups, but also partners with groups that are teaching tech skills to underserved and underrepresented folks. So I really believe we're making a big impact on tech because we're changing the supply chain. Let's say we want to like set up this learner mindset in a company like of any size, you know, let's say 20 people, 50 people, 5,000 people, whatever it looks like. What's the bedrock? What's the framework so that, you know, at ProfitWell, we can make sure this is structured how you guys do it at Pluralsight. Like how do you, how do you make that happen? I think historically people have outsourced training to L&D and that's why it failed. And so what we've really done at Pluralsight is we focus on the, the leaders that need the skilled team. We focus on the leaders in IT, the leaders in dev, and say, what challenges are you facing? Oh, you're doing a project where you need 200 FTEs that really know Docker well. Or, hey, you're moving from an on-prem solution to the cloud, and everybody needs to be trained up on something around AWS. Or, you know, so to go in and talk the talk of the leader that needs the team that has to deliver on guidelines, that's really where it has to start. Your HR department and your L&D team, if you're a big enough company to have an L&D team, they're a great partner on rolling it out, but the strategy and what you need has to start with the leader that needs the skills. And do you look at it as like everyone's taking a course per quarter? Is it a day a week? The thing with training is like it's always going to it's going to make your productivity better, but it's also going to take time, right? So there's a little bit of that give and take, that chicken or the egg. And how do you like structure it where obviously if you need 200 FTEs right away who understand Docker, it's a little bit different than hey, we want to keep make sure that we're leveling up that team member. Like how do you balance how do you balance that while also making sure they like do their job, if you will? Well, I think I can share a couple of best practices for some of our customers. So what we really encourage our customers to do is say, what are the business objectives you're trying to accomplish this year? What are the major projects? Okay, what skills do you need to accomplish that? Then you can go out and assess the team, see if you have them, and then you create custom paths or curriculum paths. It's super easy to do with all the right things and have people accelerate through, and you can have assessments along the way to see if you're getting to the right number of skilled people to achieve your business outcomes. 
So that's, I think that's a best practice is to really tie it to what do we need to achieve as a company. And our most successful customers are doing that because they're really thinking about, I've got to get these five projects done because they're strategic to the company for these reasons. And then they move on to say, okay, how do I get the skilled folks? Let's, let's assess everyone, let's do custom paths, move on. The second thing that you're talking about is just really the constant you know, learner mindset, investing in people. And we've seen a number of different things. We've seen companies who, you know, host an hour of learning once a week, or we've seen companies that put it in their MBOs. You have to have certain training objectives or certain learning objectives um, for the year as an individual, and it's part of your evaluation. There's a number of different things, and what I really encourage managers to do is to think about how do you want to make sure that creating a learning environment actually happens on your team. You've been in a bunch of different ecosystems at this point, like, and you've obviously have customers everywhere. Tell me about the Silicon Slopes. Like, it's it's, a, it's an area slopes. that not a lot of people, like, they know exists, obviously, but they think it's skiing and they don't realize just how much tech is there. There is amazing skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I worked most of my career in Silicon Valley and lived in San Francisco, and we moved to Utah almost a decade ago, and we chose to move there for lifestyle. We were older, starting a family. Uh, I got married later and we just wanted, uh, we looked at four different locations and we wanted somewhere um, different to raise our kids. My husband had been a ski bum before law school in Park City and he put it on the list and I was like, Utah. I was like, I've never even been to Utah. I actually had not, I was like, I've flown over it. Um, and so analytically it won and then I went to, you know, on my spreadsheet I built and then I went to go visit. Did, it, did you have a Domo instance? Open <laughs> up? No, that's <laughs> when you were in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'd had Domo, I would have used it for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we went to visit and I fell in love. And the thing I didn't realize was how thriving the tech community was. Because when we moved there, I was just keeping global responsibilities with, a lot, with SAP and didn't, wasn't looking for a job. Um, I could do my global role anywhere near an airport. And the, I, what I, I didn't count on was this amazing tech community. It's thriving. What people don't know, I think it was either the third or the fourth largest market in the U.S. for venture capital investment in tech. It is booming. Um, we've had several companies already this year going public with several more. Very, two of them, you were the of boss of marketing in. for yes, a while. that's so, right. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so that's, it's this really thriving tech community. And I think the things that make it great is really inexpensive cost of living. So people can trade um, you know, their teeny tiny apartment in San Francisco for a ginormous mansion. There's great lifestyle. There's a ton of universities. So it's a really high percentage um, of ed educated folks coming out and a really high percentage of engineers in the market, which makes it very attractive for tech. And then also um, LDS culture, uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, is a lot of the folks who are part of that religion go on mission work. So a lot of them speak multiple languages because they're deployed around the globe and they become fluent. And so for call centers and inside sales and things of that nature, um, you have a mentality of people who are used to knocking on doors that speak multiple languages. And so it's a really, you see a lot of tech companies from Oracle, eBay, Dell, who have put their call centers, support centers, inside sales offices in Utah. Well, it's funny because the LDS like community, it's something like the average tenure at a, look, at a job is like five years, which is like double or triple like most other locations. But I, I think there's also a misconception about that it's everything is Mormon, everything is LDS, when in reality, like it's a pretty balanced like culture, right? Like you obviously do have like the church population because that's where it's headquartered, but there's also, you know, 
tons of other people there. So I feel like everybody's come from the coast. I think the folks in the Bay Area realized it was faster to get to Park City than to drive to Tahoe. Um, so we have, a, we have a ton of transplants. And Salt Lake is a very vibrant community. Um, and then, you know, the church does have a really wealthy history in our state. It's a really... Uh, positive influence and culture on the state. So, um, you know, I have a, I have three kids and it's a very family oriented place. And that was a real positive for me moving there. Very little work on Sundays, if any, like that kind of stuff, which is good. When you think of like Silicon Slopes, like is anything holding it back right now besides time? Like it feels like it's just on a tear. I think it's, I think it's time. We're starting to see massive investments. I get so many phone calls from venture capital companies that want to put money into Utah and they're trying to figure out how to get in. So we have the money, we have the talent, like we talked about earlier. We have the conducive, the state has done a lot with laws that are super business friendly. So we have the environment. It's funny because some of the tech companies, um, like Omniture, Josh James, who I work for at Domo, founded Omniture and we saw a ton of companies spin off of that. People who work there that now have started other things. We now have had Domo and Plural site and Qualtrics and some of these other companies doing really well, we're going to see more and more spinoffs. Like I'm already seeing the next generation come up. So it's, you know, it's going to ripple. And I, I think it's just, I think you, you hit it dead on. It's time. Thanks to Heather for sharing her knowledge with us and telling us how she protects the hustle. With the help of her advice, we now know about her career as a problem solver, the skills gap that holds us back, how that skills gap relates to the speed of innovation, developing and nurturing a learner's mindset, as well as the snowy alternative to Silicon Valley. Thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 